Hello and welcome to this episode of the Anna Asks podcast. I'm Anna, obviously, and today I'm speaking with Rafferty Hallows, who is in Melbourne. Do you want to say hi? Hey, everybody. It's so nice to be here and to be invited to chat with you. It is great. Um, Before we start, I would love to acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land on which I live and work, who are the Awabakal people. And Raf, would you like to do the same? Um, I acknowledge the Wandry people of the Kulin Nation. Who have been taking wonderful care of the country on which we live, work, mother our children and are trying our best to not to continue to fuck up, basically. Every damn day. Yeah, so I'm going to take a moment to introduce Raf. Rafferty Hallows, bleeding heart, sapphic doula, weirdo and self-appointed patron saint of mental mamas. According to their website, their greatest wish is to lead a community revolution that centres mothers, postpartum, children and healing as vitally important to the health of society as a whole. They offer full spectrum mother care, pregnancy and postpartum doula support, resources and postpartum planning and inspiration to the queer, quirky, neurospicy mothers of Melbourne. They like to think of themselves as the Molly Weasley of the revolution instead of a wand and cauldron. They have a soapbox, generally social media, and tender heart as their conduits of magic. Taking care of mothers with a tenderness inspired by their own experiences, slutty toast and deep reverence and wide open arms is is a subversive act in a world that treats queer mothers as though they don't exist. Hey! Hey! What is it like hearing your uh, little about me read back to you? (laughs) If like if I be like I'm like I'm cool like look at me go. I'd be friends with me. (laughs) I'd be friends with me. Um and like cool knowing that there's people like that out in the world for people like that out in the world because I didn't know anybody like me when I entered early motherhood and when I entered motherhood I didn't know what was possible for mothers and the kind of lives big bold lives that we could live and I kind of had to pave that way for myself and now I know heaps of cool rad peeps doing really interesting things with their lives in and around motherhood but it's been a trip been a journey yeah it's been a time oh yeah yeah Your you know friendship, friendship groups and connections and all those things can have a complete turn on their head oh like and that's re- only with, like the smallest part of what you're referring to tr- like truly and like my eldest son is a turning 10 this year and so I was 24 when I had my first baby and my mother's group the next youngest mum was 10 years older than me so she was 34 and I'm 34 now yeah so it's been a real journey to find my people who are like sort of in the same in the same places and want to go the same places as me yeah for sure I'm just going to make a little side note here that if you hear some squealy baby noises in the background, we're recording with the presence of a four-month-old. So, you know, grace to all of us here, please. Thank you. And um, I, <laughs> as as who I am in the world, say firstly, like, kudos to you for working, finding a way to work with your baby. And also, it's hard. Yeah, my first baby definitely wouldn't have put up with a second of this. So it is very temperament driven. If you have a hard baby that would not let you do this and you think, what's wrong with me? Why is she doing it? And I can't, I can tell you uh, it's nothing to do with you. Just do what your baby needs. Honestly, when my first son, so my first two children are born 12 months apart. So I was pregnant again at 16 months postpartum which when I say that back now I'm like 16 weeks all 16, 16 weeks, weeks postpartum. postpartum so four months I was pregnant again with my with my second son because he was so chill so yeah I was pregnant I I just fallen pregnant again with the age that your baby is now which is just so wild and I was like, anything is possible. This baby's so chill. This is my parenting. I know what I'm doing. He's just so chill. And then my second baby came along, who is just a truly different beast and was a really high needs baby that didn't sleep, cried a lot, 
didn't want to be held by anyone like me and I was like hang on what has happened here turns out this is not my parenting just my first kid had a really different temperament which nobody talks about no and I think unless you have two that are different you don't pick up on that either um but yeah. I can hear what you're saying like I've actually just had the thought of recently like you know, I can feel that I am starting to have a bit more like libido interest come back and just thinking, actually, I'm going to have to be really careful because A, I love this age and B, this baby's really chilled and I don't want to fall into that, uh, that by accident. So you've kind of, kind of mentioned it already, but what, can you compare like your expectations of motherhood versus the experience? I know, you know, you were 24, so you maybe didn't have ages and ages to develop a, an idea or a set of expectations but mm. would you mind talking about that absolutely so I'll firstly start off by saying my mum was 24 when she had me so I didn't feel like I was really young to be having children it felt quite normal to me despite the fact that I was the first one in my friendship circle and kind of like the last, like the people that I was hanging out with at that time didn't go on to have children. So I had this idea that my children would just slot really easily into my life and life would go on. And that by proxy of having children that the village would come. That was sort of the message that I'd received. I don't know where or how that came to me except that it did um that yeah have children and that people will show up for you because of course everybody will show up for mothers and babies and families and that's just what happens and I had grown up with my grandmother and my auntie looking after both my brother and I a lot during the school holidays and sort of like while well, my mum went back to work and I know that your next question is and what were the realities of early motherhood and man I was so flawed I unfortunately like and I think it's a sign of the times and like my mum having a academic career, she was not available to do that early postpartum support that my grandparents had maybe provided her. And man, I was so lonely and I was so shocked by how barren the village was of early motherhood and how much I felt like I had to fit myself into a box to belong in mother's groups and to parent a particular way I really lost like my whole identity to early motherhood trying to find a place where I could receive care and connect with other people sort of doing this thing that I found so so profound like motherhood cracked me open in just like the most beautiful and profound ways whilst leaving me quite desolate and isolated and lonely um, and shocked because I was like the people are meant to come where are the people and they just kind of didn't and it really was just me and my ex-husband raising our babies like occasionally having some familial support but like not enough to be meaningful or like take any of that like you know that deep the deep ache of loneliness and early you know you know that just the the ache that exists inside all of us in the loneliness of early parenthood because of the way that the world is yeah it's massive I have a whole chapter in my book specifically on loneliness and I think you've spoken to it beautifully there because it I think the hardest part is that it takes you by complete surprise you don't realize just how much everybody else can just keep on with their normal lives when you absolutely cannot oh like I remember walking out of the hospital and being like hang on wait what you're just like you haven't checked if I have support at home like you're just letting me go you're just what like this was in my with my first I was 24 you know just that like hang on wait who's gonna catch me when I leave we're all alone 
and it was truly truly terrifying now that I like what you know when I look back we were when we were in it you sort of like there's nothing to do but to keep putting one foot in, in front of the other and just keep going and now I look back I'm like oh my god you poor babies let me hold you and this is why I do what I do to catch this and to also to catch this after years later because some people don't even catch up on this sort of idea that they need support until they're deep in parenting and it's not just the early years. Yeah, and I think that's where your sort of work looking at the full spectrum of doulahood rather than just that first six weeks or the first fourth trimester or whatever mm. is is so essential because it sounds like you really didn't get that support until a lot later either. Like you've lived that experience. You know, you wanted oh. somebody to hold you. They weren't there and it went south really south for me like I've developed pretty chronic it's you know it's pretty publicly documented I struggle with mental health stuff and I really didn't find meaningful support and community until after my third son was born and my marriage ended and that was five years ago I care about it so much because the isolation of it all was just so overwhelming for me and like I know it's a need. I just know in my heart of hearts that actually for most people after the first six weeks is when the very little care that they do receive drops away because people have to return to their own lives and go back to their jobs. And that's even if they received a little bit of care in the beginning anyway. And that the more children you have and the more time goes by, the exhaustion compounds, the relationship, you know, the pressure on the relationships surrounding the baby or the children compound and everything kind of gets harder over time instead of simpler. The expectation is that it gets easier and, you know, that sleep is linear and that feeding is easier in a linear way and all of that kind of thing and that your your bodily recovery is linear and this is not to take away from the first six weeks which are crucial for that that healing and that getting hormonally right and all of that sort of things but the point that we're making is that it doesn't doesn't just end it doesn't just end at six weeks and you still have so many hormonal things going on and you still have so many bodily things going on and emotional things going on and bonding, relational things going on. Like nobody talks about what happens when you wean and what happens to your hormones. I know people who have ended up in the hospital with like post-weaning psychosis and nobody talks about post-weaning depression. And when women, mothers, people experience this, they're like, what the fuck is going on? How did I get here? Why did nobody tell me? And I'm like, because we didn't, we don't talk about it. We don't talk about what happens beyond the first six weeks in the public domain, because I do think like where we are situated, maybe on social media, I definitely see the voices increasing and people sharing their stories and talking about it, but it hasn't entered the public sphere where everybody just knows at a base level what's going on for mothers everywhere at all times during all the seasons. Completely agree. And I feel like even as you touched on post-weaning depression and post-weaning psychosis is that a lot of the time with the complete dearth of breastfeeding support in some areas, you know, like phone line service, great, Mm. can only do so much. Telehealth can't actually come and help you position physically, all of those sorts of things. I think what we are looking at sometimes is we're seeing something as postnatal depression and perhaps breastfeeding trauma as a separate issue when actually it's mm-hmm. the same thing. Like it our hormones absolutely... are dependent on that to an extent. And if you are either by choice or not by choice ending up in a situation where you're bottle feeding, we need to be looking at how else we can support that hormonal situation to be getting the oxytocin hit that you would otherwise get with each letdown because that's what our bodies are relying on. That's that's what our to brains are biologically okay. expecting to be okay in this first, at least the first year and well beyond, probably up to age three, to be honest. Oh, I am just having some interesting thoughts around what the body thinks is happening and whether or not the body thinks if they're not feeding that the baby has died. Sorry if that just got real heavy, but I'm just thinking about I'm just thinking about the the influence of hormones of 
unsuccessful or very challenging breastfeeding times and the yeah the effects of that in in the early months yeah and combine that with potential to have returned to work early if that wasn't your choice and having really extended physical separation from your baby where Mm. you're not getting the scent cues the physical touch cues the other things like I don't know maybe that's a really interesting thought yeah oh it's I sometimes I worry that my story and my experience is a really grim and not don't offer any hope for people but I also firstly I think it's important to talk about like the darkness and the heaviness and what can happen so that people can be prepared and know sort of what is possible when you don't have enough support And also, I think my story is full of hope and courage and light and shows what is possible um, when you do find the support, even if it takes time and effort and, like, so much effort and grit and, like, resilience that I shouldn't have needed to have called upon. I do think it's there's a lot of magic here as well and I don't just want to sit down in the 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 heaviness of it all I don't I otherwise it sort of like takes the meaning away of it all so I'm like it was for something all the hard and heartbreaking times were to get me here I love that you've mentioned about light and dark there one of the things that you talk about often is being a doula in the dark (laughs) and doing yourself so is that something that you could speak to yeah so you wanted to talk to me about how I do myself in the dark and how that's helped me a lot. Um, so I sort of came up with this concept when I was hanging out in circles who were talking a lot about remothering or reparenting like as a therapy model to sort of like take better care of themselves. And it never connected with me because... I never felt really warmly nourished by my own mother, unfortunately. Um, But I always felt really confident in my doula skills and what it meant to doula somebody and how to, how to show up for people exactly as they are, come what may, and be able to show warmth and care and kindness and compassion and grace. And with boundaries, it kind of was like, I can't help you all the way, but I can help you in this moment. And in this moment, I know that I need to eat and I need to drink some water and I probably need to take some breaths and be gentle and soft with myself instead of like the internal shoutiness that's going on in my head. You're a shit mom. You can't do anything right. Like I would never, ever walk into a client's house sitting on the floor, you know, leaking milk, kitchen a mess children crying and be like what the fuck are you doing like I would just never ever ever talk to somebody like that not because it looks unprofessional but because I just truly don't believe or feel that I would just have compassion and that was sort of how I learned to show myself compassion on the hard days not only in like the hard days of mothering but the hard days of devastating anxiety, PTSD attacks, you know, freeze response, depression and exhaustion, heartache, even like how to take care of myself through the winter when it's really cold. I was able to be like, okay, we're just going to do this really, really gently. And I've got this mantra now that just has starting to echo through my whole life of just Softly, 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 softly. The only way through this is softly and shouting at myself, shouting at my kids, forcing my own hand is not the way through for me. And that came through dollaring myself, which came through dollaring other people, which has just been so beautiful and like life changing. And now I'm sort of like teaching other people about this and they're like oh my god I so relate to this idea I never related to the reparenting but I can absolutely imagine how a doula would take care of me and I'm like yeah do that that's how you take care of yourself start with water start with food take some breaths and be gentle with yourself even on the darkest days even on the days where you think you can't possibly go on maybe you can't go on for the rest of the week exactly as things are but you can get up 
and you can offer yourself a glass of water. You can offer yourself a banana, a bite of a piece of toast. It's like, what is the bare minimum? Do that. And the bare minimum is enough on the hard days. I feel like even the bare minimum is enough on the good days a lot of the time. So, yeah, yeah, absolutely. I really like how you speak about that because I think the concept of reparenting in that sense is like unless there's been actual neglect in childhood, that, that doesn't really apply to that. Like reparenting, yeah. I think, is, you know, dealing with perhaps things that, that trigger you, for want of a better word. Yeah, and I think, like, if you're not use, if you're not in sort of, like, healing therapy world, self-actualization world, these are just, like, random phrases that are quite alienating to some people and they're like, I don't know what that means. What's everybody talking about? Like, what? Yeah, it's a real, it's a real jargony kind of word, isn't it's it? It's a real jargony word that just gets sort of, like, bandied about and I don't think people know what it means. So I've just found that people kind of know how a doula would treat you regardless of anything else a doula will show up and treat you with warmth and feed you and hydrate you. Like that's sort of like the bare minimum of our job is to make sure that our clients are like fed, watered, rested, and to remind them that they're worthy of those three basic, basic things and care. It's just like everybody. I just want everybody to know how worthy they are as they are without doing anything else, that they are worthy of rest, and care it doesn't have to be earned it just is and that if we just cared for mothers as the baseline all mothers would be more resourced and could change the world like this is what I mean when I talk about that community-led revolution like if we centered mothers and we met the needs of all mothers everywhere from the early years through through just through and we imagine what the world would be like how resource the world would be like mothers are a natural resource and we are absolutely overdrawing I feel like we're a resource that has the potential to be a renewable energy source like absolutely wind farm or solar or something like that in an electronic kind of sense but we're treat we're being treated like a coal pit that just burns yeah And like we know what happens when you overdraw on coal or fuel or oil that you run out. And it's like, you guys, if you actually, if we actually changed the system so that mothers were more supported, which I think would involve some huge cultural reprogramming to get there. I also desperately think it's possible. Like I've watched over the last 10 years what's changed online and I've watched the message spread I honestly don't think it'd take that much it'd be like fix parental leave tax rich people do better resourcing like I don't think it's like we have Scandinavian models to follow like I don't think it's that hard like it's just people being less greedy that are currently greedy yeah like I just believe we need a revolution right? That's, I desperately believe that. And I think it's possible to create the cultural change from a grassroots level. And I think we need to find a way to convince the people who are in charge, mothers are valuable. And how do we do that? I'm not sure. Because it's so obvious to me. I'm not sure the steps to get there. But I'm just saying, like, in practice, if you decided to do it, you could do it tomorrow. Well, I think, like, the pandemic showed that anything was possible. They they were able to fund the entire nation to stay home for, you know, for the most part. And if they can fund the entire nation to stay home with paid leave, essentially, surely they can pay mothers to stay home with their children like I would like to see things like I know that the government is now funding three-year-old kindergarten instead of just four-year-old kindergarten I'm like what if we funded mothers to stay home with their children what if instead of like what if you could choose to either send your kids to, to kinder or you could choose to receive that money for yourself and fund families to stay at home with their children and keep families together 
Yeah, I know. What a wild concept, right? We're like, also recording wild... this on the week that the government just voted against paying super on maternity leave payments, which is, you know, outrageous, ridiculous. But I think we need to move away from economic territory just for we a could, moment. We could um, rage because on. I really want to talk more about identity. Oh, this is my favourite thing to talk about. How being a mother is the, identi- is the identity you've been most marginalised by. So I want to ask you what you mean by that and about oh. mothering and intersectionality riff away please okay so I'm also queer I don't know if we we fully caught that I am genderqueer I'm a lesbian it's all much more gray area than that and there is pride and there is so much space for me that I've experienced there has been so much space to express live embody my queerness and I appreciate that it's not like that for everybody but for me even though I came out in my 30s once I got here the world was kind of ready for me to be queer there's been heaps of spaces that I have found to be queer without it really affecting my material needs that much well as a mother I haven't found many places that celebrate mothers outside of a very small circle of people that I socialize with. Do you know what I mean? There's so much going on around identity politics and cancel culture and, you know, wokeness about the marginalized people who need to be uplifted and have their voices heard and deserve a spot at the table And whilst I don't disagree with that, I'm also like, I hear you. And you also like totally have missed this enormous group of marginalised people who are mothers who really, for all intents and purposes, have no space at the table, have been completely ignored by feminism, social justice, everything, everywhere has ignored mothers for all of time. And that is why I say that I felt far more marginalised by my experience as a mother and far less welcome and far less likely to have my material needs met as a mother than anything else. And even like in terms of opportunity and also in terms of belonging and in terms of Like you were just like, even like materially, like not getting super from maternity leave. Motherhood is costing us, you know, like not having access to appropriate, um, like pelvic floor physio is costing us. And an obvious one is that also by not valuing mothers, we don't value children. I mean, like, I don't feel welcome in cafes. I don't feel welcome at concerts. I don't feel welcome at many, many, many people's homes because my children are too loud, too boisterous. I'm even going to go so far as to say, like, I don't feel welcome at the library necessarily or at even at school because, like, my kids in particular are pretty high needs it's hard to get their needs met, which makes it hard to get my needs met. And it's this kind of vicious cycle of I need support, but because... Because of the support's not there, you're always in advocate mode. And therefore you're feeling unwelcome because there's a conflict that you're involved in. Always. Yeah. Just having to like, like there's just been an event in Melbourne, um, where there were heaps of talks about mothers that was meant to be mother and children friendly but it is just still hard to take your children out to places even when they're meant to be appropriate for children it's still distracting like you were trying to work and record a podcast holding your baby like that's hard you shouldn't have that many barriers to doing the work that you love and the thing that we come back to over and over again is that self-care doesn't cut it community care has to happen for self-care to be able to be in there and 
that goes beyond self-care isn't having a shower by yourself that's being a human that's being an adult yeah like just needing to be hygienic I also want to push back on that and say like it also is self-care but it's yeah. like just like the baseline. Like that isn't what's going That's to That's the doula on the dark day kind of baseline. Yeah. Give yourself like, a shower. That's not what's like, going to help you thrive every day. Exactly. So that's why I talk about it because we, like in terms of marginalisation, like we're on the margins of our own care. we're on the margins of our own selves we don't get to be ourselves first we have to put our families first our children first everything comes first we're on the margins of our own lives absolutely on the margins of our own priority lists and we're just going about the day to to tick all those other boxes first it was a big statement and I was I came up with that after listening to a friend of mine Stevie talking about motherhood in terms of socialism and they were like, yeah, I have been, I felt so much more marginalized by motherhood than their transness. And I was like, oh my God, I've been so much more marginalized by it than my queerness or any of the other identities that are meant to be officially, you know, like the more official marginalized identities, race and gender and those things. I was like, what about motherhood here too? Like, you're not even looking at us. Yeah, and this might not resonate with you if you're living in outback Queensland or you're living in a a different part of the world where it's really not safe to be who you are. But for you in suburban Melbourne right now, I can absolutely see why, yeah, it feels that motherhood is is the constraining factor. Mm, And I, I, I do think that it's true for more people than they realise feel like so uncomfortable um talking about some of this stuff like without or like without qualifying and quantifying everything and like because I've got like a broader body of work online that sort of like makes the rest of it make sense I'm like oh my gosh people think that I'm racist or homophobic or like I don't care about those intersections and I do this is just the intersection that I shout about yeah and when we're speaking, we get a chance to give some of that nuance much more than in a very small one-off kind of Mm. uh, piece of writing that you might see. But then that comes within the broader context of everything else. And it certainly doesn't give a, you know, it's a little, a little window into your experience and your work, not, not the full person. Oh, to be a full complex human being is wild. It is up and down and sideways and backwards and forwards and all the different yeah. ways. From what I'm hearing you say, I don't know if I'm just jumping back to other conversations that we've had personally, but like, please operating in, in any kind of, uh, no, that's not, not accurate segue either. <laughs> I see, see. So I've booked in all these recordings and they've been quite good conversations, but I'm finding my ability to like make the links that I want to make and express them properly is not good because of, I think it's still just because of how baby zone my brain is. Yeah. Mate, like if, if it's messy, if our conversation is messy because you're deep in baby brain, like I would listen to this and be like, fuck yeah, look at you guys doing it, messing the magic. Yeah, I, love I, might, this. Like, I might leave some of the mess in a bit more than usual this time. I'm just going to ask you without trying to segue it because please. I can't figure out how else to do it. So operating in this binary, trying to just tweak things from the inside out and, you know, find the perfect balance and blah, 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 is not something that is going to work because we're still going to be within the stranglehold of patriarchal motherhood. Your mission is about queering motherhood and I want you to hopefully just ramble on so I don't have to make any sense of anything and tell us all about it please. There are a thousand plus ways to show up for your life that you were told either aren't possible for you, aren't possible at all, or make you a bad person are immoral or inappropriate or bad or boring 
Like we're told these things by the conditioning that we receive and they're not true. And there are just so many ways to live our lives in wholeness and integrity and in relationship that we're told don't exist or aren't possible. So for me, when I'm banging on about like queering motherhood, it's sort of like looking outside of the binary of what you're told is possible. Six weeks of postpartum care, if you get that at all, and then you return to life as is. And I say no to that. I say, why not live like your postpartum forever? Why not live like you're worthy of care every day? Why not have intimate friendships with all of the people around you instead of just your partner? And this is something that I've worked so hard to create for myself. Like my like my besties, we are in committed long-term relationships with one another. And like we've called it, we've said to one another like, hey, this thing that we have going on, can we like make it official? Can like, we're basically lovers living all together. Like we're not fucking, but we're in intimate relationships together, having beautiful lives, you know, creating, resting, cooking, eating, living all together in ways that bring so much richness and beauty and magic And, you know, we dance and we go to parties and sometimes we just like curl up in bed and like read books and, you know, we live the full spectrum of life together instead of this idea that the only person that you can do that with is the person that you are in a domestic slash sexual slash romantic relationship with, that there are so many more options to what is available and my dear friend Meg says that queerness gave them alternatives and what I want everybody to know is there are alternatives to what you think is possible and that could be homeschooling that could be free birthing or that could be every Tuesday you and Jane over the road cook dinner for the kids together or you clean the house together or you set up different levels of support for yourself or that you keep hiring a doula all through different seasons of challenges or that you decide to come out and explore your sexuality because that's something that's going to make you feel whole or you quit your job and everything that you know and become a doula like so many us have done like I think doula work is so fucking queer because I know so many people who like stepped out of the corporate world to become doulas you know like it doesn't get much gayer than that in terms of like lifestyle choices like you're literally stepping out of what is absolutely normal and acceptable and like good income makes sense for all the right reasons and then being like oh no I'm gonna take the harder option just because it's more meaningful and it's fucking cool like there's women now who have quit their corporate jobs and have centered their lives around and in within amongst women And I just think it's the most beautiful and magical thing. Go to parties, take drugs or not. Do what feels good for you. Tell the people around you who are trying to tell you who and how to be to fuck off. Be yourself. Find what sets your soul on fire and it's scary and it's alienating and you're going to be like, oh, hang on. I know why I did this because this feels fucking meaningful. Like I have this line that I say over and over and over again, at least I feel alive. It's so much better than the numb, dead inside, following all the scripts, fitting in all the boxes, numb feeling that I used to feel in early motherhood when I was trying to be good. I think there's the idea of rejecting the idea of being a good mother or a bad mother, but then it's like, okay, well, what's the alternative? And the alternative is this complete stepping outside to a reimagination of the possibilities, which sounds exactly like what you're describing. Yeah. And like, call it, call it what you want. I call it querying because that's the framework that I have, but like, call it what you want. Live your life and know that motherhood 
doesn't need to limit or constrain you and that and I I want to say that this also extends to being a wife because I think that so much of what is the good mother is also the good wife if the good mother is built upon the good wife concept it's just ratcheted up absolutely historically that one came first and then the good mother adds on top of these things and the good employee and all of those things absolutely and this is just a little little nudge a little invitation to just think about who you might like to be outside of or despite these roles because exploring that part of myself is where I found my aliveness and where I found my passion and my glory and my where I found myself Mm. and you said before that these things you don't just decide them and they magically show up it takes a lot of work and a lot of pain a lot of work and a lot of heartache and a lot of grief because not only did I have to like grieve the, the pain I had to grieve like everything that I thought I knew like I didn't just have to grieve because it was hard I had to grieve that I wasn't given these options and I had to grieve that I had to lose a lot to get here as well and whilst it was worth it there's been a lot of grief and anger like I'm so angry that I wasn't given the options or the representation of queerness when I was a child I didn't come out until I was 29. Like, I didn't know. Like, I knew, you know, in quotes. Like, I kind of, if I look back, like, there were hints at it the whole way through. I didn't know. And that, like, that, I grieved that. I'm like, how how do we live in a world where I didn't even know that there was more, more richness, more aliveness, more, like, authentic relating? I love relating with women, like, more than anything, that these kinds of relationships between women and sisters and mothers and community are just so dear to me and maybe you or maybe you know your listeners grew up where they got to witness intimate female relationships but I didn't grow up with that and it breaks my heart. One of the things that women come to me with a broken heart about is knowing that that's what they want but not knowing how to find it because we're so sectioned off how do you get past that to actually put yourself out there and find the people that will be alive with you in the way that you want to be? Oh, that is such a good question. And I have like so many answers. And the first is like, feel the fear and do it anyway. Like hold on to the why you want this and let that drive you. And that and remember that it's not going to be necessarily easy and that you might need to put yourself out there over and over and over again being vulnerable being weird you know I know like authenticity is a word that gets bandied around a lot but the more that you show people your true self the more you can sort of like weed out the people who vibe with you and weed out the people who that don't, you know, like the more you put yourself out there exactly as you are, you're going to call in the people who are like, fuck yeah, I love that for you. Whilst also like you will scare people off. You will scare people off who are not ready for this. And you're like, cool, that's not personal. Their feelings are about them, but I want community and I'm going to be the weirdo. And I'm going to keep pushing for this and be really transparent and say like, hey, I'm looking to develop intimate relationships that will bring so much magic to my life. If you're curious, meet me for a coffee, sit down next to somebody at the park and introduce yourself and say, hey, I live locally. I'm real lonely. Could I sit and chat with you? Like call it, put a name to it say hey I want more friends I want more connection instead of like walking around and being like everything's fine as it is because then nobody knows that you're lonely and you're sort of just like continuing the message that this is okay as it is tell people that you're lonely Mm. and that you want to connect let them know it is seriously how I have made quite a few of my good mum friends 
which is um, watching them interact with their own children when we're at a park or a beach mm -hmm. or whatever and going, they treat their kids with the same respect that I want myself and my kids to be treated with. Mm -hmm. And that's the kind of person that I want in my life. And then hounding them basically yeah. like going and introducing yourself. The kids generally will start playing together. I go, you know, I'm free on Tuesday mornings. Do you want to, do you want to meet up again sometime? I'll, I'll put my number in your phone. Yeah. Like hunting it down. <laughs> hunting it down. And what I want to, because I always have to bring the nuance and the darkness and just like challenge what you said a little bit in terms of, I believe mothers that don't always speak nicely to their children deserve connection and relationship and absolutely go for the people that you vibe with. I think the other part of community building is being able to do conflict resolution and also being able to spend time with and connect with people who you don't always vibe with and that you can still receive care from. And that like, and you know, I think that can extend to people like your mother-in-law and, and, and those kinds of people as well. But when I see people out who are like just clearly overwhelmed like I just yes. always am in in just like a deep remembering that when I see mothers who are not being as generous with their children as they want to be that they're probably overwhelmed and under-resourced because I can be that guy and so when I see mothers struggling in public I firstly try to extend grace just in my own mind and then just a smile and just say hey like that looks really hard and like or like I'll make a joke and I do try to reach out to parents who are also struggling because I kind of think they need it the most and I'm not saying dive in and save everybody to, just to build community that's not what I mean but I think there's sort of like tears of connection that can open you up to different different things and even if it doesn't open up that connection, just that smile, just that recognition might be Can what that person so needs to get through the day. Because like you said, I've, I've been that person too and will be that person again many, many times. Totally. And I think that's the other bit where, where doulas or other people in caring professions can really trip themselves up because there's this sense of like we know what we should be doing. Yeah. And we know how if you have an interest or a passion in child development, for example, you'd know what you should and shouldn't be doing. And we're, we're still going to do those things anyway. <laughs> like there's going to totally. be times. And this is why we talked earlier about um, sort of like more systemic supports for parents is that I actually believe like there's no such thing as a bad mother. There's only an unresourced mother. And that you resource a mother with to meet her material, emotional and relational needs, that she will then have the nervous system capacity to mother in the way that she wants to and that she actually knows that she can. It's just most of us going around so burnt out, so exhausted, so, you know, financially stressed that we're not even able to mother the way that we truly desire. Mm, which is built on the back of likely being dissociated from the other things that have happened because this is an intergenerational issue. Oh my God, truly. Like, and we haven't, we probably weren't mothered by mothers mothering in integrity. So we also like haven't experienced it to do it in fullness. And we, you know, I would also say like my mother broke generational patterns as well. And that we're all doing our best and it's all very messy. Stop trying to make it pristine. And I think that's where the magic will flow in. Thanks, Raph. Is there anything else that you would like to add? I just want mothers to know how much they matter and how much they belong and how worthy they are of care and rest and how important the work that they do 
is if you just want to sit with that for a little minute and just hear it like you matter as a mother and you matter despite being a mother and just as a person and no one can take that away from you even if there are people who are treating you like you don't you matter that's it yeah let's all marinate in that idea for a little longer and while we take some deep breaths can you can you give us the rundown on you where you are etc i offer in-person support in melbourne and i also travel a little bit for an extra fee providing spectrum postpartum care so that means that you can be freshly postpartum or 16 25 35 years in if you want to address your postpartum care and support in menopause I got you and I work a lot around nervous system stuff and accessing your own desires and needs for what you would like your life to be like and what kind of support needs to put in place to make that possible. I also have two workshops available on my website at veggiedaddy.com.au. The first one being Veggie Daddy's Guide to Cultivating Community, if you want to dive into that a little bit more deeply. And then I also have Veggie Daddy's Guide to Being Your Own Dollar in the Dark, if you were curious about that model that you might like to explore for yourself. And I'm just gearing up to offer some virtual doula offerings so that I can work with mothers interstate and internationally because I've had a lot of curiosity of people looking for somebody who do what I do in sort of the extended postpartum realm around. Um, but I don't know really anybody else who does the sort of more extended stuff. But you can always ask, like contact your local doula. And if she says, they say that they do postpartum, say, hey, I'm not fresh, but like, is there a way that we could work together? I just want to invite you to do that if you're curious about extended postpartum care. I think we should open up more people's worlds to extended postpartum care. Beautiful. Thanks, Raf. My pleasure. We'll My see you on the, uh, on the internets. On the interwebs. And <laughs> I hope, thank you for having me and having this opportunity to chat and share about all of this because it just is what sets my heart on fire. Mm. I just want all the mothers to know they deserve care. Yeah. Thank you so much for listening. If you love this episode, please consider passing it on to a friend or leaving a rating or review. All these things help people find us and help me to continue to bring you meaningful conversations with spectacular humans. You can find my services and my book, Mama, You're Not Broken, Unmasking the Unspoken Emotions of Modern Motherhood, at my website, www.annacusack.com.au. You can also follow along with me on Instagram at Anna Cusack Postpartum. It is such a joy to bring you this podcast. Please check the show notes for links to the various things we've spoken about and all our guests' contact details, as well as a link to become a podcast sponsor if you're so inclined. Until next time, may the parenting forces be with you.